Well, welcome. Welcome to Family Conversations Part 2. Um, thank you all for being here. We have a lot more guys here tonight. I don't know what's going on. I guess maybe the word got out. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Um, we're excited to have you all here, and uh, we're really looking forward to spending some time with you and just talking about intimacy, talking about uh, marriage, uh, and of course, uh, the good stuff we'll get to as well. So, But last week, we talked about uh, anxiety and depression, uh, which was really a great time. If you did not get a chance to come and you would like to watch it, it's actually on our website. It's on Warren's YouTube channel and any of our social media platforms. So I encourage you to do that uh, if that's something that you would like to see. And then next week, we will wrap up uh, our family conversation series with part three, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. Uh, but tonight, we're looking at marriage and intimacy, and so we're really excited to do that. Why don't we pray, and let's kick this thing off right, and then we'll get moving. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your goodness and love uh, an example of love in our life. And God, as we now uh, look into uh, what intimacy really is all about and uh, these couples that are here that are longing to be close to each other and close to you, I pray that you would just guide and direct us and you would meet us here uh, in these next several minutes. And we'll thank you for all that you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, one more thing I want to let you know about. On your table, you will see evaluations. Now, we really want to know how we're doing, okay? This is not to evaluate your spouse, by the way. I just want to make that really <laughs> right. clear. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. Um, yeah, this is to evaluate us and to evaluate the information. Uh, so we really do value your input. Um, and so if you would be so kind, we would appreciate you taking the time. And we'll remind you again at the end uh, but we would just, we just really like to know how we're doing. Uh, so we've got some pens in the back table. And, and I know also... there's only two per table, but there's a QR code. So you can scan the QR code and do this online also. So yeah. if you would, please do that. Absolutely. That's great. Good. Well, listen, uh, we're talking about marriage and intimacy. Why do we even need to be talking about this, right? I mean, we didn't seem to have this problem when we were first married, did we? Um, most of us have maybe been married for a little while. Um, let's see, anybody married longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Oh. 15 years, raise your hand. 20 years, raise your hand. Oh man, 25 We're gonna run off years. Here. 50, yes. year, no, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> How many years, Brett? Uh, well, this may will be 41. 41, yeah. wow, this guy's the expert right here. No. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> My wife is very patient. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is, right? That's awesome. Good. How, the, the, how, how many years out here? 21. 21? 21. That's great. 31? <laughs> now we'll go with 31. That's all right. That sounds really good. Yeah, In the back, how many? How many years? Three? Three, Three years. Wow. Yes found each other. That's great. Yes. It's exciting. That's really good. Awesome. Now, what's that? 46. We have a winner. Wow, we do have a winner. That's awesome. That's great. Good, good. Now, what about the shortest? Anybody married less than two years? Oh, less than one year. Ooh. Dun, 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 How long? Five months. 
five months. months. Oh man. And you awesome. waited into this session. You get a medal for bravery. Is what <laughs> that's you right. Exactly. That's yeah. really good. Awesome. Well, for those of us that have been married for a little while, let me ask you a question. What happens to intimacy over the years? Does it stay hot? Does it lessen? Yeah. I think a big word uh, that we like to use is drifting, right? It's really normal for, for spouses to drift and eventually become more like roommates, business partners, friends. Um, what are some of the things that cause us to drift? What do you think? Just shout out some answers. Busyness. Busyness. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. What else? Children. Children. Yeah, that's a big one. Little pains in the butt. <laughs> what else? Come on. Anybody else? Anything else? Is that it? Selfishness. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. What about work? Could work get in the way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what else? This is your time to speak. <laughs> Golf. Golf. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for somebody to say hobbies or something. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. What else? Routine. Yeah, that's good. Health. Health. Yeah, absolutely. Differing schedules. Differing schedules. Yeah. Anything else? What about those of you that? are married to someone opposite. You're a night person, they're a morning person, or vice versa. Yep. That can do it. Yep, yep. about laziness? Mm, that could be one. Yeah, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do when we're drifting, right? Often, you know, we try to, you know, reinvigorate with date nights or vacation. We're hoping to restore what we had or what we once had, but... You know, as good as these things are, date nights, vacations, they're, they're just not enough, you know? Um, think of your kids, right? You wouldn't be satisfied with just connecting with them maybe once a week or on vacation, right? Um, you know, sometimes you're excited to connect with them once a week when they're teenagers, but <laughs> that's, that's a different topic. It's another topic. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it takes more than that to parent, and just the way that it takes more than that to parent, it takes more than that to partner, right? So, so we need to experience intimacy between date nights, between vacations. That needs to be kind of an ongoing process for us. I ran across this study. Uh, it came from 2012 from the Journal of Divorce and Remarriage. The top two reasons for divorce were these. Nope, let me back up. Those. The top two reasons for divorce were growing apart and not being able to talk together. I mean, don't we, we expect bigger things than that, but those were the top two reasons. I always tell couples it's usually not the great white shark that swallows your marriage up whole. You can see that fin coming at you in the water. You can fight off the great white shark. It's the myriad of little guppies that just take small bites out of you. And I've told couples that for years, and then I came across this quote from Nell Frizzell. Listen to this quote, because it just says it. Nobody breaks up over adultery, but over the way you talk at dinner. 
the small daily incivilities, the apologies unspoken, the kisses that go unkissed, the meals that pass in silence, these lay the groundwork for big things to erupt. And that's why we can't leave intimacy to just date nights or to just vacations. We've got to fill that break in between. We need to look at that. So we're going to look at intimacy. Now, wives, when I mention the word intimacy, what do you think your husbands are thinking about? I I will wait you out. (laughs) (laughs) Sex. Sex. And husbands, when your wives hear the word intimacy, what do you think they hear? Talking. Talking. (laughs) (laughs) We already have a train wreck right here, don't we, you know? Because we're thinking about two different things. Well, tonight, we hope to be able to help both of you get a little bit more of what you're looking for when it comes to intimacy. But to do that, we have to understand intimacy. This is the simplest definition I have found or heard of intimacy. Intimacy means into me, see. Into me, see. Now, why is that so hard to let people see into you? I told the group last week, I'm very comfortable with uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Why is it so hard to let people see that? Because, because of insecurities? Why else? Makes you vulnerable. Yes, and if you're vulnerable, you could get hurt, right? I mean, no one likes to get rejected. I mean, we'll get to this in a little bit later, but I've been married 41 years, and I still hate to ask my wife for sex because if she says no, I feel rejected. I should know better, but I feel that because I made myself open, vulnerable, let somebody see into a need, and they may not handle it well. So vulnerability is hard for us, It really is, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, where that comes from. Uh, But tonight, we're gonna try to help you get better at this, at at every aspect of this, and we're gonna give you a picture of it. So Eric, let's give him a picture. Yeah, and I think that the biggest mistake, number one, is thinking that intimacy is just one thing, right? When actually, it's a lot of things, okay? And it's a package deal. And so one of the ways that we felt like it would really help us to see is using a pyramid, okay? Let's see if we can get that. I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. Maybe you should do this. Let me see. Here. Our slides don't want to be intimate. (laughs) All right, one more time. Here we go. Oop, got it back up. Oh, okay. All right. Intimacy. This is intimacy. The intimacy pyramid, yes. Um, because, and here's why we do this. Because a lot of times people come into my counseling office and they say, we're having trouble with intimacy. And I always stop them right there and say, do you mean intimacy or do you mean sex? Because we use intimacy to refer to sex because we don't like to say the word sex. And so the reason we're going through this is help you see it's more than just that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So there's different levels of intimacy, okay? And the reason we use a pyramid is because at the very bottom, we have at the widest part, 
we have the level of intimacy that we engage with each other most of the time, right? And then as we move up the pyramid, those levels of intimacy will decrease the amount of time that we spend there, okay? So when we talk about the first level of intimacy, we talk about, I don't know what I'm doing. It just doesn't like you. There we go. There we go. Conversational. Conversational intimacy. Yes, very good. Uh, conversational intimacy, right? This is the small talk. This is the business talk of the day, okay? Even though it sounds trivial, this type of intimacy is absolutely important. And we think, oh, okay, well, this is at the bottom of the period. This isn't a big deal, right? But it absolutely is a big deal, okay? It keeps us connected. And the reason that it's on the bottom is because it's the foundation of all of the other forms of intimacy. And usually the intimacy pyramid breaks down right at this level, right? It's those little things that we don't even think are important. We start talking, we stop talking about these little things and we stop um, engaging each other with these simple things that we think are so simple. Um, if conversational intimacy is so simple, right? And what are we talking about when we talk about uh, conversational intimacy? We're talking about uh, things like what happened in our day today, right? We're talking about, um, you know, maybe going on dates and the kinds of conversations that we have there, maybe memories growing up, or, you know, there's different aspects of conversational, even as something like, you know, hey, who's going to pick up the kids from school today? Those kinds of things, we think that they're simple, right? But when communication breaks down, it usually breaks down at that base level. Why do you think that is? Why do we let it lag? We think. Maybe we've been talking all day at work. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we've been at work all day and we're done talking. Yeah. What else? Yeah, it feels like you're just kind of giving a report. It's not really feeling like this is connecting. Um, but it really is, you know? And the problem with conversational intimacy is that we get busy. We just get busy. And because we're busy, we don't want to communicate. I'm just going to deal with it myself. I'm, not, I'm going to forget that I have this partner with me. Um, Gary Smalley gives us a great quote here. He says, busyness hijacks connection and ushers in disengagement. Um, and that's a powerful quote, right? Busyness hijacks our connection. It takes that away from us. Um, and this is actually from a great book, uh, Brett. Do you want to tell yeah, me? Yeah, it's, it's from a book by Greg and Aaron Smalley uh, called Reconnected. I love the subtitle, Moving from Roommates to Soulmates. Uh, it's a very, very practical book. Uh, lots of great stories. It's not a highbrow book at all. I really encourage you to get this book because all of us drift into that roommate thing from time to time. Yeah, that's good. And you know, it's interesting when we're dating, okay, usually what attracts us to somebody else um, is usually the things that we lack, right? That's why we say opposites what? Opposites attract, right? And usually, in, when you look at a couple and when you look at your spouse and, and when I look at you out there, I don't even have to guess. One of you is probably more the talker and one of you is probably more the listener. 
One of you is probably more of the outgoing person, and one of you would probably rather stay home and read a book, right? And one of you is probably uh, the saver, and maybe another person is the spender, right? That's me. Back. I love what you're talking yeah. about, that they're all looking at each other like, you know like, who you are. One? You know, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly, absolutely. <laughs> but here's the thing. Because opposites attract, and again, the reason for that is because we admire in other people what we lack, right? We don't have that. I wish I could be more outgoing like them. I wish that I could be more grounded like her, you know? And so what happens is it attracts us to them, and then we wind up getting married. But the things that attract us before we get married now aggravate us after we get married, right? And all of a sudden, we forget the very things that attracted us to them, and we start thinking, well, I don't understand. Why can't you just be more like me? Why can't you care about this the way that I care about it? Why can't you talk about this the way that I want to talk about it? Well, it's because they're not like you. They're opposite of you. That's what you married, right? And so we forget that we tend to think differently. And this just isn't with personality. This is with gender, too. I've used this illustration a lot, but I think it's really, really good. There's a book several years ago I read, and it's called Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. All right? Have you guys ever heard this before? Okay? Yeah. If you haven't, this is great. Men are like waffles. When you look at a waffle, what do you see? Besides the buttery goodness and the awesome syrup, extra <laughs> syrup, please, we see squares, right? And when you look at a waffle, this is how a guy thinks. A guy thinks in compartments, okay? We compartmentalize everything, and we can separate everything out from everything else, and usually we can cut through everything, and that's what makes us such great decision makers a lot of times, right? We can just get to the point, we can solve problems because we cut everything out. We're just very rational in our thinking, okay? I've got a little bit of a surprise for you ladies, okay? Some of these squares... They don't have any words in them, okay? Some of them just have pictures. Some of them don't have words or pictures, okay? So when you ask a guy what he's thinking about and he says nothing, he's being honest with you, all right? He's really thinking about nothing. And then you start to press him and then he starts jumping around from by. He's trying to find a box with words in it because you're about to get mad at him, you know? But we gotta understand that these boxes are how we think. We have dad box, and then we can jump out of that, and we can be husband version, and then we have work version, and we, we, we bounce around very seamlessly, okay? And As we can only handle about one or two at a time. Really. That's exactly right, yeah. We gotta be able to bounce very, you know, we, we can only handle a couple of times, that's right. As a matter of fact, when guys meet each other, right, for the first time, and you wanna get to know each other. What's one of the first questions that you ask? What do you do, right? Why is that? Because your job, you're very comfortable with it. You do it at least 40 hours a week. I'm comfortable with my job. So I know that I'm going to jump into that box and I'm going to have you jump into that box because we're really familiar with it, right? And I'm automatically going to try to connect with you on a box that I'm comfortable with. Oh, are you a bulldog fan? Oh, do you like to fish? Right? Because we like those comfortable boxes. The uncomfortable boxes we try to avoid. Okay? So the emotional boxes and the boxes that have to do with an addiction maybe that we have or, you know, something that has to do with 
uh, seeing me, we avoid. Now, women are different. Women are like spaghetti. Now, when you look at a big plate of spaghetti, a big old sloppy plate of spaghetti with the sauce and the noodles all intertwined with everything, that's how women think, okay? Everything is connected to everything else, right? If I find one end of a noodle, I have no idea where the other end is. It's buried in there deep, okay? And I may try to find the other end, but good luck. Guys, if you've ever tried to keep up with two women talking, it's exhausting, okay? They're all over the place, okay? And it's like, wait, 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 what now? You know, yeah. And so they're telling you a story and, and you know, my wife's in the back, Chrissy. And so, you know, we'll talk and she'll like, well, hey, I gotta tell you what happened today. So, you know, I got, in, I got out of the car and I'm walking to the store and I, you know, I went out and I locked the door and then I came in and I'm like, what's, what's the point? right? And she's giving me all the details, you know, and I've told her, sometimes you got to give me the point first, right? Because guys, we need to get to the point. Give me the point, fill me with the details after. Girls want to give you the story and they're going to, you know, they're going to build all this thing up, right? And so that's the difference between guys and girls. Now, That also means that not only do our wives need to get to the point first and then fill in the details, we guys have to fill in about five times as many details as you think you should fill in. That's a great point. Before you get to the point. Yeah. So you got to work it the opposite way. The girls want to know the details, right? Guys are getting to the point. So a guy gets home from work and the wife says, honey, how was your day? And he says, fine, because that's the point. The point is, is that it was fine. Nothing exciting. Your wife doesn't want to hear fine. She wants to hear the details. She wants to know what you did today. Even if it sounds boring or pointless to you, it's not to her. So tell her. All right. Um, And I'm going to shock you guys, by the way. I told you, ladies, that guys sometimes were not thinking about something, right? Guys, women are always thinking about something, okay? This may not come as a surprise to you, okay? But there's always something. There's always wheels turning from the moment they wake up to the moment that they go to sleep. So they're confused when you say you're not thinking about anything. Now, when women meet each other for the first time, what's one of the first questions you ask? to get to know another woman. Yeah, they're they're going through all of them right now. Yeah, they're running along the train. What do you think? Yeah, it's about family, isn't it? Do you have a family? Are you married? Do you have kids? Because they're so relational. They're so emotional. And I love that because I am so not that, right? And we have to embrace the fact that they are emotional because they need to help us along the way on the emotional train. All right, now let's get practical for a minute, okay? Y'all need to spend some time together. Now, I don't want you to tell me, but I want you to think about this question rhetorically. When was the last time you two have been on a date? Now, if you have to think about that for longer than about 10 seconds, that's a problem, okay? Because just because you're married doesn't mean you should stop dating, okay? Why is dating so important? Because of the conversational intimacy that comes along with dating, okay? Now, I usually tell couples that they need to follow something that I call the rule of sevens, okay? And the rule of sevens is basically this. You need to go on one date every seven days. Every seven days, every week, 
You should plan a date. It should be part of your calendar. It should be part of your budget. And you should have everything lined up so that once a week you are going on a date. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to like go to, you know, downtown and have, you know, the, the really nice dinner and all of that all the time. Okay. Budget is okay and is important to fluctuate. All right. We can do free dates too, but be on purpose. Take some time. Okay. And you say, well, I have a newborn at home. I don't know. That's okay. You can have an at-home date, but just make sure it's on purpose. Okay. Give the kids, you know, mac and cheese and hot dogs and put them to bed early. And then dad goes to get a nice, get some nice food. And we sit down and we talk on the back porch or something like that. So just be on purpose, but y'all need to be going on a date once a week, but it doesn't stop there. It's one date every seven weeks. The next thing is that you need to have either a night away or an all day date every seven weeks. Okay. And the reason I say either, or because sometimes budget is hard, you know, spending the night paying for a hotel, but take an all day date. Drive to Savannah for the day, right? Drive to Atlanta for today or spend some time in town all day doing something with your spouse. And it doesn't stop there. One date every seven days, one night away every seven weeks, and then one weekend away every seven months. All right. And then finally, you should have one second honeymoon level trip with your spouse, no kids every seven years. So how's, how's your track record on that? Huh? I need to go home. Yeah. <laughs> you need to go home right, right now, now. And go. Yeah, right now. that's right. That's good. And y'all are like, hey, this is date night right now. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, if you want to count it, that's okay. But if it causes arguments, then I don't want to hear it. Um, there's some rules when you go on a date, by the way. You're not allowed to talk about problems. You're not allowed to talk about kids. You're not allowed to talk about money. It's time for the two of you to enjoy together. Why is that? I have a story about that for you. Get oh, okay, good. Uh, I came home from work one day. We had a couple of toddlers. And uh, I came home from work, and they were into something, and I disciplined them as soon as I came in the door. And my wife came around the corner like, how dare you discipline my children? And so we realized that we had not been spending enough time together. And so we decided we were going to go on a date. And same rules applied. We would not talk about children. We would not talk about work. I've been on blind dates that were more awkward than that first date with my wife. <laughs> they were awful. And this literally happened. People think I make this up. This literally happened. When the server brought our food, she instinctively pulled my plate over to her and started cutting my food up in child-sized portions. <laughs> I swear it happened. I looked at her and I said, we're sicker than I thought. <laughs> and so we kind of like had to go to the movies where we didn't even have to talk for a while just to get through that. So those are good ground rules. They're just awkward. Yeah, that's good. But how do we get started? How do we get started in communicating conversationally if that's not happening? Well, guys, first of all, you need to learn the skill of active listening, okay? Not passive listening, not like, yes, dear, uh-huh, dear, could you move out of the way just a little bit? Thank you. No, no. Active listening, right? We don't need to solve their problems, okay? Don't think that when they're presenting problems to you that they want you to solve them, okay? I'm going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. Hang on. What they want you to do is they want you to listen so that they can talk things out and solve the problem themselves, okay? So, am I right, ladies? Is that good? Yeah. So, don't try to solve their problems or the world's problems. Just listen. It's so much easier. 
Just be interested and relate and say, wow, that, that must be really tough, right? That's a great phrase, okay? Here's another good phrase. Tell me more. Tell me more, right? That's a great phrase. Your husband wants to use yeah, that phrase. I know. Now, ladies, when the guy says, tell me more, he doesn't really want to know any more, <laughs> okay? So summarize it a little bit better and, and, and give it to him again in a nice, concise, as concise as possible, bite size, okay? Guys, it's great to rely on your wife to know where you guys are. It's okay to say, hey, how are we doing, right? On a scale of one to five, where are we at? I promise you, her number is always probably going to be a little lower than yours, okay? So go off of her number, all right? Now, um, the last thing I wanted to talk about when we talk about conversational intimacy uh, is something that um, Greg Smalley also talks about in his book, Reconnected. He calls it bids for connection, okay? And really, we need to listen for things that our spouse brings up that interests them, right? It's like we have these little opportunities every day and every week to let our spouse know that we love them, mm-hmm. right? There are these micro moments of connections, right? It's just knowing what they really appreciate and love, right? You know, my wife and I, were sitting on the couch and we're watching TV. Now, she has no problem asking me to rub her feet, right? But if I just reach out and just start doing it, I think it goes a little bit further, I think. Is that maybe? I don't know. Um, So understanding and knowing your wife. And by the way, that's a biblical thing, 1 Peter. The Bible tells our husbands to know your wives. You need to know what she needs. And um, here's just a little example of a bid for connection, right? We think that, that, that we're listening and we want our spouse to listen, right? And there's a little bit of back and forth sometimes. They never listen to me. Why should I listen to them? Uh, and so it kind of goes back and forth a little bit. You know, we've been talking about these uh these kind of discussion things that you can do with your spouse. We have a handout sheet on the far right side of the table back there that will give you some discussion starters. Um, And so you can take advantage of those. You can pull them. If you get stuck and you're just staring at each other and you don't know what to pull it out, it'll get you started. So we want to make that available to you. We need to move on to the next level of intimacy. And the next level of intimacy is this one emotional intimacy. Now, this goes beyond just the small talk. More, it, well, The guys are getting squirmy. I know. Every, it's going to get worse as it goes on because after a while, the ladies are going to get squirmy. Uh, <laughs> this goes beyond the small talk, you know, the, the talk about the weather. How was your day? Who's picking up the kids? This, this is another level above that. And it tends to be more difficult. Why? Why is taking it up a notch and talking on an emotional level, why is that more difficult? Takes more what? Takes more thought. Yeah. I mean, we can rattle off small talk really easily. Why else would it be more difficult? Pardon? More vulnerable. More vulnerable. Absolutely. The higher up this pyramid you go, the more vulnerable you get. I'm sorry, down here. Uh, you have to find the right time. Have to find the right time. 
And depending upon what you want to talk about, it might not be a right time, right? Anyone else? Don't want to be wrong. And, and kind of along with that, this level of intimacy has the opportunity to get you in trouble, right? And, or, or start a fight or upset someone. So we don't like that. We tend to back away from this. But this is where we deal with disagreements, where we deal with differences of opinion, rejection, misunderstanding. All of that stuff comes in here. It's how you communicate with your spouse in their language. Uh, and so, like we said, guys, fill in lots of details. Listen for feelings. Because a lot of times when somebody's communicating with you, not just your spouse, but especially your spouse, they're not just communicating facts and figures, they're communicating feelings. And if you can tap into that, they will feel connected. And you'll get points, so you should do that. And, and like we said earlier, ladies, Go for the bottom line first because the guy's trying to wade through all your details to figure out what you're trying to get at. And if you'll give it to him at first up front, he can relax. And you can bounce words off of him and he won't be trying to fix things because he knows what the bottom line is right up front. So, so do that. Let me show you what happens. Now, the Scripture tells us this. Scripture tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance for it's from it that flows the wellsprings of life. So the reason emotional conversations are so important is because they get to the heart, and that's where life is. That's, that's where the real deal is, and that's what actually lights people up, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but that's where life is. But we act like we're supposed to guard our heart from our spouse, and that's what gets us in trouble. And so we think, oh, I can't go there because this will cause an argument, or I can't go there because this will hurt their feelings, and so we just slowly withdraw from one another because we're guarding our heart from our spouse. And that's not what we're talking about. And this is as easy. You do not, some of you guys out there are thinking, if I do this, I'm going to get drawn into this long emotional conversation. I'm going to feel like I'm in a Hallmark movie. I'll never be able to get out. <laughs> that, it only takes about 10 minutes a day. Just 10 minutes a day. Matter of fact, we have a book back there you can look at uh, called The 10 Minute Marriage Principle. It's really good practical. You're familiar with this. Tell yeah, us it's about really this good. Uh, Doug Weiss wrote this, and he's got a lot of other good resources. Um, but this is really good. It gives you a lot of good examples, um, specifically taking 10 minutes a day to just connect with each other. And he gives you like really easy. Um, exercises that you can use, you know, for example, trying to ask like, what's, what's the biggest blessing that you had today? Uh, what's the biggest aggravation that you had today? Um, what do you worry about the most? You know, what is it that God's teaching you? So those are just some examples, but trying to get some of those answers can be tricky. Um, and so anyway, this is really good. It's just, it's really practical. It's full of a lot of really um, simple things that you can do in about 10 minutes. So anyway, yeah. it's really good. Another good question is, who did you want to strangle today? Man, that'll get you an answer really quickly. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> but usually it's, well, it's you. I wanted to strangle you today. So that's not always work. So, all right. So that is, let me give you one more way you can get to this. Well, actually, let me show you what happens to us here. So you have, we've talked about conversational intimacy. So a husband and wife start having this conversational intimacy. They're talking about facts and figures and weather and to-do list and get it. But even that, like Eric said, is important because that starts drawing us closer. And it works really well until we hit emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is, a, is like a doorway. That's where we talk about these opinions and concerns and expectations and feelings. And, and here's the deal. If you can make it through 
emotional intimacy well, you'll go on to greater and greater intimacy. But what usually happens is we hit that doorway and we're afraid of what's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna get their feelings hurt, I'm gonna get in trouble, somebody's gonna be mad, we won't agree, we won't be able. And what do we do? We cycle back to the easy stuff. And so it keeps you in the shallows of communication because you're avoiding this emotional intimacy piece. This is why this is really important. And you have to push through that. And uh, I got a great story, but I won't share it tonight because we're going to run out of time and I don't want to run out of time. But this is how this works. So you got to learn to start talking a little bit deeper. If you've not seen this game, the ungame, this is a great game. It's a card game, and there's like levels of cards in there, and some are really easy, like talk about your favorite pet, or what's the best Christmas gift you ever got, or tell me about a favorite vacation when you were a kid. And then you can go to a second level of cards that are a little more in-depth. They talk a little bit more about some feelings and some things that are important. So if you don't know how to get started, I have couples pick up this game, go out to dinner, pull the deck out, start dealing cards. And it's a great way to do this. So we need to move on to the next level, though. That's good, yeah. Um, And just 30 seconds here, there is something uh, that we don't have a lot of time to talk about, uh, but it's something that um, is called intimacy anorexia. And basically, if, if you're a person that has a hard time identifying your feelings and emotions, or you're married to that person, uh, that can be a difficult thing. Uh, and honestly, sometimes uh, a lot of you, and maybe there's some of you in this crowd even tonight, that are married but alone. And um, understanding that, that's something that's a little bit deeper, and that's something that's going to, um, if you start trying to do some of these things, and it's not getting anywhere, and it's not working well, then maybe that warrants meeting with, with one of us and, and we can try to help you through some of that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but as we move forward, we move up the pyramid and now the next level that we're getting to is physical, physical intimacy. Now, the problem with physical intimacy is that we just get lazy. But physical intimacy is really about touch, right? It's about closeness between bodies. Uh, in a romantic relationship, right, we understand this is holding hands, cuddling, kissing, right? A warm, tight hug is just a great example of physical intimacy. But wives, what's the problem with physical intimacy? What's the problem? Ah, it's a precursor, right? Usually, if the guy is turning on the physical intimacy, then he's got something else in mind, right? I came home one day <laughs> from work. I gave my wife this big hug and she pushed back, mm-hmm. which was not the first time she'd done this. And I said, why are you doing that? She says, because I know where this goes. And she was right. And so <laughs> she was right. And so I had to learn to deprogram. And so what I'd do is I would come in and give her a hug or kiss her on the neck or something. And she'd pull back and I'd go, I, honestly, I don't want anything. You could lay down naked on the floor and beg me. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about that happening, but it was nice to say it, right? And so, yeah, this is a big deal for wise. This really is. Yeah, absolutely. So guys... Physical intimacy is not always the gateway to sex, okay? Get an amen from the wives. Yes, all right, good, good. Your wife needs physical touch with no agendas, okay? No agendas, all right? They're begging you, all right? Now, 
you know, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but um, there's an article uh, on Gottman.com. He has a blog and he talks about 10 ways to rekindle passion in a marriage. And it's really interesting. Uh, But according to the author, uh, Dr. Corey Floyd, he said, holding hands, hugging and touching uh, can actually release an oxytoxin uh, causing a calming sensation. All right. So studies actually show it's also released during sexual orgasm. Can you believe that? So holding hands and sex is the same thing, right? Okay, maybe I don't not. think they're buying. All that. right, yeah. But a physical physical affection helps to reduce stress. Yeah. Uh, your wife needs to be loved, and she needs to be cherished more than you think, guys. Okay, so let her know how much you love her by touching her with no agendas. But we know that that's not quite enough, is it? Yep, guys, it's your turn here. We're going to the top level of the pyramid, sexual intimacy. Um, Now, some of you have been waiting for this level, and some of you have been dreading this level. Let's just be honest about that. Uh, Do you realize that the first command God gives after creation is to have sex? How else? It says be fruitful and multiply, right? That's the first command. And guys, do not use that as leverage at the house. It will not get you anywhere, trust me. But that's the first command. And, and so this whole sex thing was God's idea. How many of you have children? Okay, so you know what that means. You've done this, right? You've had sex. You have children. But why is it that we can be naked in front of one another and we can have children and we still have trouble talking about this stuff. I mean, that's the problem. Let me show you, let me take you back to the pyramid. Here's the problem with intimacy. It's this. Men want to approach this pyramid from the top down, and women want to approach it from the bottom up. And when our spouse approaches it from a different direction than we do, we, they feel like they're brain dead. How can you be thinking that way? But that is how we're wired. That's how it works. And so the key to this pyramid is you have to work it from the opposite direction. If you're a top-down person, you've got to start bottom-up. And if you're a bottom-up person, you've got to start top-down. Now, do not read too much of that into that based upon what we're talking about, okay? But you have to do that. And when you do that, things get better things get better. You start meeting each other halfway, if you will. And, and guys, when you're working from the bottom up of this pyramid, you're meeting their needs. You meet their needs, they're more willing and wanting to meet yours, and vice versa. And, and it's a simple thing, but, but sex is a team sport. It really is. You both need to win at this sport, if you will. And so helping your spouse win is one of the best ways you can help the team win. So let's get specific. It's usually at this point, my wife is not here this evening, but it's usually at this point, she's in the back of the room saying, please don't let him say something stupid. Please don't let him say something stupid. But we need to get a little bit specific here. Like I said, the biggest thing you can do to improve your sex life or your intimacy life period is work this pyramid in the direction your spouse needs it to work. Um, But we need to talk about it. I had a sex therapy class in seminary 
which seems kind of weird to start with, right? But I was in the marriage and family counseling program and we had a sex therapy class and I'm older than most of the students in there because I went to grad school later in life. So I'm sitting in the room, I'm kind of in the back corner and there's all these young men there and this stodgy old professor comes in. He's a little short, squatty, uh, bald-headed, glasses on his nose. He walks up to the podium, he flips open his notebook and he starts lecturing. And he's using all the terminology. He's using words like penis and vagina, and he's using all this. And I'm looking around the room, and these young guys are shriveling up. It's like the witch in the Wizard of Oz. They were melting. And about halfway through the class, he stops, and he says, some of you are a little uncomfortable with this, aren't you? And they were going, yeah, we are. And he said, well, then how are you going to talk about this with people in your church if you can't even talk about it in a classroom? And I thought, this professor's brilliant. And how are we going to have better sex life if we don't talk about it? It's no different than our finances, raising our kids, if we're starting a business. If you don't talk about it, it doesn't get better. So we have got to learn to talk about it. Like I said, many of you have done this before. You've seen each other before. So it's time to talk about it because take this away with you. Sex gets better when you talk about it, not when you hint about it. Not hinting about it. I, uh, I came home from grad school one night, planned to make a lot of points with my wife, okay? Walked in the door, said, you know what, darling? I am not going into the library. I'm not researching. I'm not writing papers. I'm not going into work. I'm just going to stay here. She said, okay. So I said, not only that, I'm going to give the kids a bath and put them to bed early. She said, that'd be great. I'm thinking, she got the hint, right? Why else would I bathe the kids and put them to bed early, right? <laughs> Anybody should figure that out. So I did. I bathed the kids, and I put them to bed early. And when they're asleep, I holler downstairs, okay, the kids are asleep. They're in bed. She said, okay, I'll be up in a little bit. And she didn't show. So I said, I'm going to take my shower. And she said, okay, I'll be right up. So I get in the shower. I'm fully expecting to come out of the bathroom and find her naked on the bed. And I came out of the bathroom, and she hadn't even turned down the bed. She hadn't even been up there. Now I'm getting a little steamed, I'm a little mad. So I said, okay, I'm out of the shower now. Okay, I'll be right up. And now I'm in bed, and I'm twiddling my I'm naked in bed. I'm twiddling my fingers, and I'm just <laughs> mad. And she never shows up. <clears throat> so finally, I do the really manly thing. I tiptoe and sneak down the stairs and look around the corner. She's in the lazy boy. She's got the footrest up. She's got the paper in one hand, channel surfing in the other, eating a snack. She had no intention of coming up and having sex with me. I was so mad. And unfortunately, I'm a powder. I just keep stuff to myself and pout about it. It's a bad habit, but I do. So I pouted for about two or three days. And finally, I couldn't stand it any longer and said, Blah, and it all came out. To which she said, well, if that's what you wanted, why didn't you just say so? And then I was mad because she was right. <laughs> Hinting does not work, boys and girls. It just does not work. You should say something if you want it. So, that's why I brought you this cartoon. Husbands, let's play Wheel of Relation. Spin the wheel and see what kind of action you get tonight. You may get a, I don't know, I feel bloated. You may get somebody who's already asleep. You may get, say, get a, okay, no, uh, I can't decide. You may get all of these. The next panel of the cartoon says, well, it feels that random anyway. 
That's what happens when you hint. So we need to talk about three things tonight. The three things that everybody stumbles over when it comes to sex are these three things. When, how, and how often. If you've not thought about these, you've not been married, hardly any, all right? So we're gonna talk about those really quickly and then we'll hit one last piece and open it up for questions. Let's talk about the when. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are not. My wife is not a morning person. I could lose a limb approaching her for sex in the morning. (laughs) If I could even wake her up. If I wake her up, I'm going to lose a limb. You know how that works. Some of you are anytime people, anywhere people. Some of you are no nighttime in the bed people. Some of you are, I'm ready now. Yes, I've just been out in the garden mowing the yard, but I'm still ready. Some of you are not until you're freshly showered and squeaky clean people. You know who you are, but that affects the win. You have to start negotiating those wins. That's how that works. These things need to be talked about, and you need to negotiate it. And uh, you may not get what you want, but at least you're talking about it. That's some of the win. There's a lot of others we could throw in there, but we're pressed for time. So let's go to the how. When it comes to how you have sex, I tell couples in premarital counseling, here's what I tell them. When it comes to sex, there are three baskets. There's one basket in which both of you say, oh yeah, I'm in for that, that sounds great. There's another basket where one of you says, you know what, I'm not really sure about that one, but I'll give anything a try once. And then there's this basket over here that says, if you even think about doing that, I will break your arm. (laughs) You need to know what's in each of those baskets, right? And the only way you know is either by trial and error, which makes things worse, or you talk about them. And so when I'm doing premarital, I have couples talk about that. It's really, it's hard for them, but I feel like if I can get them talking about these kind of things in premarital, then they won't have any trouble talking about it in real life marriage. Uh, And just another quick word here before we move on to the how often. When When we're talking about the how, sex is like eating out. Right? Sometimes you go to a nice restaurant, you have a full four-course meal with dessert and everything. And sometimes you just got time to get drive up. All right? If you have to have a full four-course meal with dessert every time, it's going to cut your chances. I'm just telling you guys, just going to cut your chances. And so sometimes you have to do drive up. And it's really good if you'll talk about which is going to be which. All right, because if you don't talk about it, somebody's expecting the full four courses and the other one's expecting drive up and it's gonna be a train wreck. So talk about it. And you know, and I tell couples this, well, I'll get to that in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So let's talk about how often. How often, do you know that scripture says a lot about sex? It really does. One of the most pointed to the point passages on sex is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's talking about sex. It says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. All right? But then it says, but then come together again that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, the passage tells us a couple of things. One, it tells us that there should be some sort of regularity and some sort of frequency in your marriage when it comes to sex. 
And uh, I wished it had told us what that frequency was because it would have saved a lot of fights in my house, but it doesn't. That frequency depends upon you, depends upon your spouse. Every couple's gonna be different. There's a great book back on the, cor- on the table called The Secrets of Eve. There's another one called The Sexual Man. It's done by a Christian psychologist, Archibald Hart. It's a little, book's a little dated, but the information's still true. It was done off of research with Christian couples. And he has everything in there to average sexual frequency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what creates sexual desire, what kills sexual desire. It's a great book, you should look at it. But sexual frequency is up to you and your spouse. You have to decide. But that's a part of Scripture. Scripture says you need to do that. Because it goes on to say, if you don't keep some sort of regularity and some sort of frequency, it says Satan might tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's two ways to interpret the passage, and I think they're both spot on. First, if you're not regular and frequent sexually in your marriage, your spouse could be tempted to look elsewhere. Okay, that's a valid interpretation. The other interpretation is not being frequent and regular in your marriage with sex is in and of itself a lack of self-control. And I kind of lean into the latter interpretation because this is, you feed your family every day, you pay your bills, that's all self-control. This requires the same self-control that you give it the same amount of effort and energy. So everybody wants to know Everybody wants to know how often is enough. (laughs) Here's what I tell couples. In your marriage, one of you is going to want sex this much. And one of you is going to want sex this much. And how do you figure out how much? Pick the number in between and shoot for it. It's a simple math problem. That doesn't sound very romantic, does it? We want sex to be spontaneous, right? I think in certain stages of your marriage, especially if you have young kids, you've got kids in all kinds of activities and sports, you're trying to build a business, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We had to, my wife and I had to do this when I was in grad school because our schedules were so hard and crazy. I think you should schedule sex. I'm a firm believer in scheduling sex. Now, people will say, oh, I'd rather it be spontaneous. Well, would you rather it be spontaneous or would you rather get it, right? <laughs> you get to choose. Well, that takes all the spontaneity out. No, it doesn't either. All you know is what day you're going to have it. You don't know what time. You don't know what room. You don't know what position. You don't know anything other than it's going to happen today. And at least you're sure to get it. Because, wise, I'm telling you, if you tell your husband, no, I'm not feeling it tonight, they think it's going to be next February before they get it. I mean, it feels like you're just putting them off. So if you give them a rain check, that's another hint not just scheduling, but give them a rain check, and then they can relax and quit pestering you because they know it's coming, but you better keep your rain check, right? All of this sounds very mechanical, but you have to learn how to do this. And some seasons of marriages, are, it's easier. Some seasons, it's not. So these are some things that I think you need to do in order to make sex better for you. There are two handouts on the back table. One of them says, suggestions wives make to their husbands about how to make sex better. The other sheet is suggestions husbands make to their wives about how to make sex better. I want you to get one of each of those when you leave. Now, I'll just warn you, the wives' suggestion, it's a lot longer, all right? (laughs) But 
take those, go out on a date, grab a hamburger or something, throw those things down, mark your top three or four, and then swap your list. And then after you've played that game for a while, go back, mark another three or four, swap the list again and keep playing that game. All right? We're almost out of time. We need to hit one more level of intimacy. So let's give you this one. Yeah, so finally, uh, we just want to talk about spiritual intimacy, right? And as you can see on the spiritual intimacy, intimacy, it surrounds the whole pyramid, right? It encapsulates everything. We understand that, uh, you know, when we get married, um, usually our spouse becomes the center of our world, right? Uh, But we forget that God has been a part of our world before we met our spouse, Whether we were saved or not saved, God was a part of our life. He's always been a part of our life, right? The Bible says that he knew us when we were in the womb, okay? And so, but what happens is when we get married, our spouse now becomes uh, the center of our world. And then after a few years, we start having kids. And then what happens? Now spouse gets pushed to the side and children become the center of our world, right? Now God has been pushed who knows where, right? But what we need to realize is that regardless of who enters our world and who enters our life and our marriage, right, God needs to be at the center, okay? He's got to be there. Um, You know, there's a passage in Genesis uh, where we're in the Garden of Eden, and after Adam and Eve sin, um, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, um, when they both ate the fruit, it says that the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And uh, then God asked them and he says, hey, where are you at? And the man says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? The man and the woman have already seen themselves, each other, right? They were already naked. But what happened when sin entered into the world and when they failed, all of a sudden, now they have this uh, instinct to hide themselves from each other, right? They hid themselves from each other and they hid themselves from God. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so we need to realize that we need to make ourselves available to each other, and it goes back to the beginning definition of intimacy, which is into me see. And we need to stop hiding ourselves from each other. And I don't have it on the screen, but Ephesians 5:21 says, "Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." Now, a lot of times when we think about the Bible, the Bible says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands." But guess what? It says you need to submit to each other. And why do we do it? Out of reverence. For Christ. In other words, because of the fact that we know God and God loves our spouse and thinks highly of our spouse, we need to do that and we need to submit ourselves to them out of our respect for him, right? God needs to be at the center of your marriage. Um, and just like we thought years and years ago that the earth was the center of the universe, we realized that that wasn't the case. We realized that when we started looking at where the alignment of the planets and the sun were, we realized that that doesn't make sense. 
we realize that the sun is actually the center, right? And so we understand that the earth is not the center. And when you have to realize is that your kids are not the center of your marriage, okay? God needs to be at the center. Um, so it's real important. If we're going to have any kind of intimacy, it needs to be uh, with Christ at the center. Exactly. That's the starting place. We have a few minutes for questions, and I know that's really risky on a topic like this for have you ask questions, all right? Uh, but I want to give you the opportunity to, and I want you to be bold and brave in doing it. <laughs> so, there are people out there going, I'm not asking them. You ask them. I'm not asking them. <laughs> what questions do you have about any of these that you see on this intimacy graphic? They have it all together. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I think we answered all their questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which one of these do you struggle with the most in your relationship? Yes. Emotional anorexia. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So intimacy anorexia is the active withholding uh, of either physical or emotional or sexual intimacy from your spouse. And when you find yourself in a marriage where the other person uh, is not making themselves available to you emotionally, uh, it feels like you're by yourself in your marriage. You don't know this person then there's a good chance that they may have an, this intimacy anorexia. And actually, uh, Doug Weiss, who wrote this book that we talked about, The 10-Minute Marriage Principle, if you go to his website, drdougweiss.com, he actually has, he talks about intimacy anorexia. He actually coined the term originally. Um, and on his website, he actually has a little quiz that you can take for yourself or for your spouse to find out. Um, if they have something like that. And if they do, he's got books about it and resources. And of course, uh, it's something that you can um, talk to one of us yeah. about. But it's typically not just, a, oh, I don't know what to say or I'm not sure what I'm feeling right now. It, it, there's a little more intention behind it. Someone else. Okay, we're going to let you go because no one's going to risk asking the question. Uh, Please do this for us, though. Please fill out the evaluation or scan it and do it. We want to know. I, we really want to know. Uh, if you want more of these family conversations on different topics, we want to know about that. We want to know how we can make these better. Uh, so please do that and get those back to us. Those would be greatly appreciated. Let me pray, and then if anybody has any questions you just want to come up and talk to us about, you feel free. Don't worry about that. So let's, let's pray. Father, we are made in your image, and one of the big pieces of that is we're made relationally. And, uh, and specifically, for those of us that are married, we are made for that relationship because that is an illustration of our relationship with you. And so, you created this, this stuff we call intimacy at all of its levels, and you know that when we're not doing well in one of those levels, it hurts us and we struggle. And uh, sometimes at best we go through bland lives at best and sometimes we go through very adversarial lives at worst when this is not working well. 
And so, Father, there's so much more than we could even touch this evening and, and talk about. But I ask that you would plant seeds this evening in all of us, myself included, that would help us open up and be better at this. And not just for us, but for our kids and for the people that are watching us and for the people that come behind us. This is important, and I pray that we'll carry something out of here this evening that, that you want to use in our lives. And I thank you for all of these that are here. They've taken time out of their evening. They've got to go back home and get kids ready and get ready for the next day. I ask that you would bless them with some energy and a good night's sleep and, and help them recoup. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Thank you all for being here. We're grateful. Very nice.